0: Welcome to the CoinGam Podcast. I'm your host, Fritz Charles. On this podcast, we attack the crypto asset and blockchain space from all angles, from the underlying technology to the economic impacts. Every single episode, we try to look at the blockchain space from a new lens, and this episode is no different. But before we start this episode, I wanted to share a bit about our advisory services, We've built a huge network of blockchain professionals who can help you out with your projects. Whether you want to launch an ICO or you're just looking to do some deeper research, we can put you in the right place. We have advisors, blockchain developers, and legal professionals. If you need help, just visit us at coingamma.com. Now, let's start the episode. Welcome to the Coin Gamma Show. Um, we're happy to have the last years guest with us um, today. Uh, we have Michael O. Uh, Michael O. is a lecturer at the Walton School of Business at the University of Arkansas. He's taught he taught the college's inaugural course of cryptocurrencies. In addition to that, he also advises various crypto projects, including heading a STO for a fintech company and assisting in token economics for other. Um, blockchain-based companies, in, in, in particular, a subscription platform. Prior to entering uh, cryptocurrency, uh, Michael has a very long um, illustrious background in the traditional finance sector. He worked at T.O. Price, um, and he even worked, uh, did his thing at the, in the government, working with the U.S. Uh, Treasury Office. Um, he, he, he got his uh, MBA from MIT and his MPA from the Kennedy School, um, both in Cambridge, obviously. Um, Michael, thank you for spending time with us today um, and, and lending us some of your 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 um, your insights. Um, please add to any part of your background that I might have missed.
1: No, I think you captured most of it. My background is in macroeconomics and finance, with uh, um, with a special uh, specialty focus on emerging markets. Uh, earlier in my career, I was more micro in terms of having done some consulting and corporate finance, but I think a turning point in my career was when I was in Asia during the Asian financial crisis. And that was a really gripping experience, personally, because we had family there and to sort of see what they're going through was, was pretty unnerving, but also gripping as far as. And there are a lot of big questions um, that I think a lot of people were grappling with in terms of why was this happening? Countries were trying to do the right things if you're being punished by global
0: capital flows. So are we talking it, about the, uh, the crisis in what, 97, 98? Not, yeah, 98, 99. Okay. And um, what country in this particular? So I
1: was in China at the time. Okay. Um, so, you know, the crown zero was Southeast, Southeast Asia, but then it sort of expanded into East Asia. Um, so, so I sort of saw it kind of unfold and, and kind of raised a lot of questions and which, again, sort of a gripping experience motivated me to go back to grad school, as as you noted. And then from there, went to uh, U- U.S. Treasury and did a lot of work on international debt policy, like debt relief, debt restructuring, debt relief as a form of development aid. And then from there went to the markets at Tiro where I was, you know, I was a sovereign analyst and responsible for investment recommendations for um, emerging markets, um, debt and currencies. Um, and I did that for a number of years until, uh, uh recently my wife got a pretty compelling opportunity at Walmart. So she took okay. out at the DC office for a little bit, but had to come out here to Arkansas and that's where we are right now. And that's, this is where I discovered crypto of all places, right? Of
0: all places, uh, you know, place in the place, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the number one, I don't know if it's still number one, in the market cap, I think it's Amazon, but obviously huge company, a historic company. Um, and so is it, was it through connections at, at Walmart, uh, was it just kind of hanging out in, in Arkansas? Uh, how did you come across it in particular?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I thought I was, I was going to join Walmart in some capacity, but I, I, I made friends with a local entrepreneur who was really, really into crypto. Um, kind of, you know, selling me on the idea and I was very skeptical, but I started to do my own research and just found it to be very interesting and and I found crypto to be very familiar and unfamiliar, familiar insofar as when I was looking at networks, felt like I was kind of looking at quasi economies in terms of of having to understand monetary policy in some cases, fiscal policy, governance, politics, network competitiveness, things like that. The unfamiliar part being sort of the disruptive possibilities of this new technology, and of course, after I tried out Bitcoin and, you know, jaw dropping and saying, you know, did this really happen? That was sort of part of the experience of uh, falling down the proverbial rabbit hole.
0: Awesome. So how did you experience, obviously you've had a lot of experience in traditional finance, as I've said, Um, you've seen kind of a financial crisis out in Asia in the late nineties. You even, you know, I'm not sure where you were working during the 08 crisis in the U S You've seen that as well. So, did that have any impact as to what made you, you know, the lens at which you looked at crypto when you heard about it? Um,
1: Yeah, I think it definitely informs. So, I think there's a lot um, to bring into crypto from traditional financial markets, traditional, um, you know, economics. And there are a number of disciplines that sort of inform the field. So, I think to the extent that all this can be applied to crypto, I think it's really a hook for me. And I think probably for a lot of others insofar as. This is kind of a new field, it's really unique in its own way, but it's very familiar. Um, so yeah, I, can def- I, can, I definitely take um, the experiences that I had there and then and, and trying to apply that, you know, so as to further you know, projects or just the space in general through, through my past experiences.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So you you moved down there, um, you know, made friends with somebody local, this, uh, you know, after initial uh, skepticism you you know you kind of bought into crypto and so how did that lead to your role at the University of Arkansas teaching it and, and creating a course yes yeah. so the inaugural um, course correct
1: yeah so um, so for some context um, there were some local projects that were um, you know crypto projects not a lot of, not a lot but I got involved in those in terms of helping launch this sto and helping this other subscription platform um, get off the ground um, but but so sort of as context here Kind of interesting in Northwest Arkansas, there's Walmart, but there are also two other um, Fortune 500 companies, J.B. Hunt and Tyson's. There's also the University of Arkansas. There, so there's a big interest um, in blockchain technologies, right. particularly in, uh, for app- in the application of supply chain uh, type solutions. So actually at the University of Arkansas, they started a, a blockchain center of excellence as a you know research and education center. To help find solutions for some of these these companies, and also to educate students, so I've I've sort of gotten tied into that. But of course, that side is very is is the permission side of of blockchain technologies. I've been more sort of on the permission permission side in terms of working on these projects and teaching students on you know crypto and uh, in terms of the technology and as well as kind of the financial aspects. So it's so it's it's through that that I've been um, you know trying to play a role here in terms of kind of being the drum on on, on crypto here, and, and maybe having something to offer in terms of students, and also enterprise in terms of what's what's going on in the permission slide that might help in terms of their finding you know enterprise tech solutions. Because a lot of solutions are
0: um, could be hybrid,
1: uh, as as some test cases show.
0: Yeah, well, awesome. Uh, obviously, being you know some of the companies you mentioned, Walmart, Tyson Foods, um, supply chain being huge. A lot yeah. of people say that um, supply chain is like the perfect use case for blockchain. Um, especially the people that are like into saying like, I'm into blockchain, not Bitcoin, you know, people like Jamie, <laughs> right. Jamie Diamond and those folks. Um, we could talk about, talk about JPM coin a little bit later. But what do you what do you think? Do you think that is actually a, a real use case? Have you seen things happening since you're kind of on ground zero when it comes to the supply chain? Um, so,
1: so my understanding is that there's. You know, there was all the hype in 2017. I think reality has set in. It's a little harder um, than was initially thought to sort of get this off the ground in terms of figuring out issues like shared governance. Um, you know, this is when you think of supply chain; it's not digital, so you're trying to figure out how to bring a physical uh, world onto it into the digital world. And so things like IoT can help with that. But I think there's still some steps from you know getting a lot of these these solutions off the ground. So you know, I think the the runway is is a little longer than expected, but you know the, the belief here is that there's a lot of uh, business value to be realized so in the longer term you know there will be solutions but we still are it still feels like we are in somewhat early innings.
0: Right, right right no it makes sense it makes a lot of sense also awesome. you know obviously one of the things that you you have you spent time with the US Treasury um mm-hmm. and, and you know before uh coming into the space and one of the one of the things that you you had exposure to obviously is policy. And so what do you look, when it, when it comes to policy design, like what, what does that mean for you when you were to apply that to this new industry, the crypto blockchain space?
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Um, you know, having come, come from a policy background, it, it does feel like when you're looking at network design or when you think about public policy, what, what is public policy? It's really just sort of setting the rules of the game um, or the laws within some kind of governance framework and setting, setting up the Incentives such that when the actors in the economy sort of respond to these incentives, you can get an intended outcome, right, or something that, that you desire. Um, and, I, and, that, and, and crypto networks feel the same way. You have crypto economics that sort of reform how you design all the incentives for the various stakeholders and actors in, within the network, within some kind of governance framework. And you know, hopefully, through that, through that structure, you're able to get some kind of intended outcome for, for, for the network. So. It feels like there, maybe it's a meme <laughs> you know, public yeah. policy as a way to kind of frame how, you know, you can bring some of the, the knowledge and the experiences from the public policy world into network design. I think there's another interesting parallel insofar as <clears throat> um, network design seems to, crypto ne- network design seems to marry very well you know, consumer and producer theory. So, you know, when you work for a company, um, you know, you're all about, and you went to business school, so it's all about producer surplus and maximizing producer surplus. where right. like a policy person, you're trying to maximize the entire pie in terms of consumer and producer surplus. And here in crypto networks, <clears throat> you know, you're not a company, so you can't really extract excessive rents because you know the code is open source, the be things like that. So what you're trying to do is I think, and this is sort of a hypothesis I'm kind of thinking through, is you're trying to maximize you know, user adoption in order to like maximize uh, network value. And from there you have it still over effects so far as if you're trying to fund a network group let's say, <clears throat> um, token um, uh, block rewards, then the, that value, the block value of those block rewards increase and, and you have a bigger budget for security or for governance or whatever you, whatever you want. So it, it feels like when you're doing network design, it feels like public policy so far as you're trying to maximize <clears throat> uh, uh, consumer surplus and so far as you're trying to maximize utility for the for user and that goes over into having a bigger bigger budget for you know your producer surplus, so to speak. So again, maybe it's another way of, of viewing um, of network design from a, from a policy-making perspective or framework to use.
0: No, it makes sense, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you you kind of brought up the fact that you can't really, you know, you look at the traditional markets, the whole point is to basically extract excess rent, corner um, markets, et cetera, but given that the fact that this is all open source and people kind of take, kind of take some of your work, meaning code and kind of move it down the street and create their own store, so to speak, or their own economy, so to speak. Um, yeah. That's super interesting. Um, another level of policy, so obviously, you know, understanding how traditional policy works within the token economics um, is one thing. But what about the fact that people are saying, that, like, oh, you know, it's regu- the lack of regulation um, into this space is what's keeping the bull market from returning, right? So the SECs have kind of dragged their feet. Um, in addition to my role here at at um at um Coin Gamma, obviously I, I work with uh token tax. So taxes is something that we look upon as well. And you know, the IRS is pretty slow when it comes to creating regulation around that. What do you what do you I guess what what are your thoughts? Do you think it's do you think do you agree that it's slow? Do you think that's gonna happen? Do you have any, you know, prediction as to what direction the the, the you know D C will go on this space?
1: Um yeah, that's it's it's a great Another great question. I, I'm not sure I have um, um, tremendous insights here. I mean, I did have um, a meeting with a, one of the commissioners a few weeks ago, um, Commissioner Purse, and I think we sure. all know that she's she's on the side of innovation. Um, I, I mean, I think broadly they're trying to tread very carefully and 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 um, um, you know take a stance where they're not styming innovation in any way. So I think that part is good, and, and they're trying to move very slow and very deliberately. I think from the conversation I had with with Commissioner Peirce, um, they're Clearly, they're, they're trying to grapple over grappling with a lot of issues, and I try to pin her down on you know the Hindman standard. One can a, um, you know security become a non-security essentially, right. um, and from my perspective, it, it seems if if you're if you can do that in some constructive way, then you can really bring down a lot of barriers to, to innovation, right? So for, for me, you know the message I I had to her was like you, know, you crypto has the potential to really spawn you know this digital gig economy. In so far as you know when you think of like capital formation the you know gener- first generation was kind of big, you know, where everything was kind of bootstrapped. second generation was these uh, this ICO boom which didn't quite work out very well now we're sort of going back to this model where maybe you can bootstrap a little more and you use you know let's say block rewards as a way to sort of reward all these generalized miners um, to sort of give you product um, contribute in a productive way uh, to your network and so my, my thought here was like I mean if you think of generalized mining and, and trying to finance that with block rewards there's a way that you can use tokens in a way where it's not security, then you remove a lot of frictions in terms of being able to like bring in a lot of type types of talent, a lot of verticals in terms of supporting the network. So if you think of like mining, just you know, people who come in and like you know uh, mine, and, you know, proof of work or whatever. I mean, think of how much innovation and how much that vertical has progressed in terms of it's not just you just open a laptop and you can mine. Now it's you have to have these huge you know, farms and you've got these, you know, right. cutting edge technologies with, with, with ASICs and you have to, like, plug into a renewable um, <clears throat> energy source and, and things. So things have gotten really cutting edge and really, and, and really uh, you know, cut through a competitive. Now, imagine if you do that with other, you know, verticals, whether it's, like, dev support or, like, governance support or financial, social services support. And think of, like, <clears throat> kind of what kind of gig economy can sort of spawn. If these block awards could be used productively to sort of pay these different actors who are helping to, to build your 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 economies or or your or your network, so 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 you know we talked about that, and I think she was very very open to, to the notion that like if I could sort of work for a network <clears throat> um, or a crypto network, and I don't have to worry about you know having to sign a staff and like having a one year lockup and proving how I'm a credit investor and things like that,
0: you know because it's a decentralized network, <clears> then
1: <throat> all of a sudden like you can sort of like the tent is very big in terms of what kind of talent you can bring into crypto network. So um, so I think it was a notion that she was sympathetic sort of to. She definitely wants to see how this, this space expands expand, and also here in the US not necessarily in other countries. So um, from the SEC perspective, I think they're trying to, to be careful, but you know, I think they're also being a little conservative. And you know, ET, Bitcoin ETF is, is one example where you know arguably, yeah, the the ETF was fine and maybe underlying security. Underlying markets for Bitcoin are, you know, seem a little gray to regulators, but that shouldn't necessarily prevent them from approving the ETF. So I think they're being trying to be careful, which is good. But um, you know, hopefully they're on the side of like embracing innovation. And at least in my conversation with, with her, first, that's that's her vision. But hopefully that's embraced uh, more widely on the commission.
0: Awesome, awesome. No, no I agree. I agree. I think um, we need more people um, in D.C. Uh, that are kind of uh, understanding that you know they don't they don't want the U in order to keep the U.S. as a, as a global economic leader and technology leader we we can't fall behind when it comes to this but obviously you can't have what we had in twenty seventeen where people were you know investing in things like BitConnect and, and being taken advantage of right um, so it's mm-hmm. a fine balance um, yeah. let's pivot a little bit right so you know obviously right now you know uh, another use case for for crypto obviously are places where the economy is not as trustworthy, the government's not as trustworthy, and what's going on right now and what's, pop, what's on top of mind for a lot of people is Venezuela, right? Um, right. And, you know, how, you know, right now, as of as of today, there are two presidents, I believe, you know, one, <laughs> one incumbent and one that, uh, you, know, you know, basically declared himself as leader. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, some people call it a coup, some people say that it's actually within the realm of the constitution or their constitution for the, for him to do so. But anyway, what, what are your thoughts around Venezuela? Given your, your experience, you know, is it, you know, do you think of it, look, do you look at it as like failed currency, uh, issue of governance? What, what are your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah. I, I think a lot of the, the, <clears throat> the chatter around Venezuela and, in, in um, in, in sort of the crypto community is that this is a case of, you know, failed fiat and, and, um, you know, this is a, Clearly, a use case for for crypto to sort of step in. Um, I so I covered Venezuela when I was at Tiro, so my perspective is wow. probably slightly different. Um, I mean, I see it more as a, as a case of failed institutions and failed governance, and when you have failed institutions, that leads to failed yeah, basically. Because I think if you look at where Via, where Venezuela was fifteen years ago, I mean, it was it was a pretty work. It was a pretty um, decent economy and, and the institutions were were were
0: okay. Would you say you had, it's because uh, oil was at uh, at one twenty at the time? No, it was before oil went to
1: went to one. Wow, okay. So I, you know, so when you so back in like 2015, you had like a fiscal responsibility law. You had a stabilization account um, for oil. You had a central bank that had credit, you know, leadership. You had a military that was somewhat professional. So you had a lot of institutions, checks and balances. But then when you know, Chavez came to power, and you know, had a, um, a very populist message that resonated with a lot of people. And then oil spiked in 20, so all, all of a sudden he was um, armed with a lot of you know money to basically try to you know um, uh, to implement this, this socialist vision that he, that he cast. I mean, part of that was basically you know dismantling a lot of the checks and balances in in the country. So you know, central bank became became just a financing arm of, of the national treasury. Um, you know, judiciary became, you know, basically puppets. Um, and so, and Peta Vesa just became like a tool for corruption. So, you know, incrementally, you know, all the all the institutions that were in, in Venezuela, they weren't very strong in, in the first place, but they basically became dismantled. So that by the time he died, um, you know, there was a power vacuum and, and basically the inmates took over the asylum. And so, and then took the country to where it is today. So when I think of, you know, Venezuela, I, I sort of... See that you know there just was a failure of, of checks and balances due to the power that, that Chavez had accumulated and, and passed down to Maduro. So I, I, I think to some extent there's a lesson there for, for crypto in terms of like what checks and balances are there, and if you're forking you know off of another network, are you becoming sort of an echo chamber? So such that you're not really becoming a very resilient network. So <clears throat> um, so I think that there's some things to, to be, be gleaned from that, and if you if, if have a failure in governance, and I think you're can have a failure. In
0: Right 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 it makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense do you, do you see uh bitcoin being a, kind of a viable replacement for their now you know super volatile currency that is is you know nearly worthless due, due to the high um inflation
1: um so i think i think for sure crypto is going to be more mainstream than than it was before and even if you have a new government and a new government brings in a big you know, stabilization programs when so inflation comes down and and the currency becomes you know more usable again i think there's going to be access to crypto as an insurance um, as an insurance plan just because you just never know when there's going to be backsliding in, in, in any kind of like recovery program now. Um, so i don't think it'll necessarily take over as as the medium of exchange but i think there's going to be um, you know it's, it's going to be there as as a form of insurance for for people who have you know, who are going through what's happening right now
0: no it makes sense it makes sense so I guess do you are you saying that you don't see it as a do you see do you see Bitcoin created uh, or, or crypto or any other cryptocurrency becoming a reserve uh, out um, eventually anywhere or do you just think it's more like a, a temporary hedge during uh, maybe a country's transition period or power vacuum period
1: yeah it's def- definitely a hedge I think to the question of whether it can act as some- Kind of global reserve, I you know I I think it comes down to two questions: what is the state of the world and what's the state of technology. And I think you know if if we think of what the state of the world would have to be for Bitcoin to become the you know global reserve, I it's probably going to be a world where there's a lot of instability and a lot of therefore monetary instability, and and it's it's hard to imagine what that looks like. Um, but it's hard to totally discount because you know there's a lot of debt out there. There's a lot of high fiscal deficits, and here in the U.S., there's this you know. Growing course, um, believing in MMT, in modern monetary theory, which is somewhat, which is a fallacy, but it's the notion that you can keep on running large fiscal deficits because you can finance them by money. Um, but once you do that, and if you sort of like, if you make the Fed, Federal Reserve, the you know financing of the treasury, then you're going to find out very soon that, that the, you know the markets are not going to be there to, uh, to finance you. So. Um, so I don't think that's gonna happen, but you know, you can't necessarily discount that we live in a world where there's instability and therefore monetary instability and, and Bitcoin can sort of grow in adoption. The other question, you know, what does the technology look like in, in the future? And maybe, you know, right now it doesn't really you know, meet the criteria of money insofar as you know the, the test of medium you of know, exchange, um, store of store of value and, and unit of account. But maybe at some point it does. But even then, I you have to take the perspective of is is Bitcoin or some kind of cryptocurrency good for from the perspective of governments and central banks and there it's a little more difficult to see just because if you have bitcoin as kind of the medium of exchange then the central bank can't run monetary monetary policy they're going to have questions about bitcoin governance in terms of okay so if there's a bug so i guess the core developers will take care of it fine but so there is some kind of government go- governance there or block rewards go away like what happens to the security model so so you know, central bankers aren't coders. They don't understand code. They don't understand you know this kind of thing, and you know this kind of government, governance is very unfamiliar. So it's going, to, it's going to it's going to it's a real stretch to see that you know cryptocurrency can be you know adopted by, by central banks as as kind of the you know official currency. It's more that maybe in a, in a world of, of instability and and uh, <clears throat> you know what people are trying to hedge, something like crypto becomes a little more de facto. Um,
0: global reserve because people use it because they're scared, right? Not right. Scared them. Interesting, interesting. Do you have, uh, I don't know if you've you heard the news around um, the UAE and Saudi Arabia creating, uh-huh. the, doing their own crypto test. Yeah. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts around that? Do you think that that's kind of like something that could be a, what people do instead of using something like Bitcoin, kind of creating their own?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think one thing that's interesting if you think of, um, digital currency is used used, used by sovereigns, um, and there's just a lot of pressure, I think, on on just cross-border payments. Because cross-border payments is such a, I, I don't know if you've you've done this recently, but you, you try to you know send payments to somewhere else. It's, it's, it's terrible, terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. It's like no transparency. The pricing's terrible, and it's like you know it takes several days. When
0: yeah, when you know you yeah. can have a yeah. token right. way pricing's terrible. They they will not only charge you a high fee, but they will also take advantage of you when it comes to the exchange rate. Yeah. Yeah. So So I think,
1: you know, if if there's a, so I think that the promise of a tokenized platform is that you can settle things much more quickly, much more cheaply, and there's transparency in terms of like what's going on. Um, They may still cheat you on the exchange rate, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it's a much more efficient way of, of. So I think maybe some countries are thinking that, you know, to the extent that they have some tokenized um, um, method of payment that they can tra- attract more demand to the currency. So that, you know, that might be the angle that, um, you know, some t- countries are coming at like China or UAE or Saudi Arabia, or maybe, maybe they're, they want to branch it out. So it's easier to do remittances. And right. Like that. Um, now at the end of the day, like, you know, the currency is the currency, so you know whether China's RMB can become the reserve currency because now they have a tokenized version of it. I'm not so sure it's not a convertible currency. There are a lot of problems with the RMB, but in terms of just trying to get more adoption and making it easier to use, I can see it
0: sort of being you
1: know that being a valid rationale for, for central banks to sort of roll, roll
0: these kinds of products out. Awesome, awesome, awesome. No, no, that's very, very interesting. Now, I guess let's pivot back, a little bit uh, back to some of these different projects, um, you know, uh, mostly, you know, they're created by private institutions. Um, and obviously, you know, you have, I guess the, the chief use case for crypto right now is is around speculation and trading. And, you know, with that, there's market caps. What are, you, what are your thoughts around like token valuations and, and, and how people should look at, at to- tokens and what they're worth or, you know, the different uh, methods out there?
1: Yeah, so this is an area where I think there is a lot to say and also very little to say. I, a lot because I think there are a lot of ideas, a li- little because there's not a lot of empirics to go behind it. Um, so I think if you try to meld a lot of different approaches from different disciplines, you can kind of get an array of approaches. So I mean, um, if you think of equity valuations and PE, you can definitely transfer that to um, token valuations in terms of you know NBT in terms of looking at the network value you know, relative to transactions, so somehow pairing um, or comparing, you know, some notion of valuation or, or price to some fundamental metric. So, and that metric could be like, you know, the number of transactions, the number of users, or what have you. So, I think that's been tried and true, and I think that'll that'll prove to be tried and true. And for for um, <clears throat> for tokens, um, I mean, coming from markets and looking and having done, you know, valuations on sovereign currencies, I suspect. When we have more data there will be multi-factor models and this kind of brings in the regressions in terms of looking at what are the three or four drivers to a currency's valuation so it could be something like you know what's the you know how secure is, is the network and looking at mining centralization maybe has, has, <clears throat> as a proxy for that or you may look at the stake yield so money tends to chase the yield so if you, have, you can get a high yield like 10 percent from staking your coins maybe that attracts more demand or could be some feature uh, about your, your product. And so you, you put this into regression, you get the coefficients, and then you sort of apply that um to, to what the market where the market is obviously, it, it's kind of proxy for what the value should be. Um, taking it from more from a macroeconomic perspective, you could um, <clears throat> kind of use notions of competitiveness. So you know, just like for let's say the, the US dollar and the US when the US dollar strengthens you know, exports get hurt. So thinking right. about that for, for tokens, if, if for some reason there's um, the, the currency is over overvalued, then it's going to hurt user demand of, of you know, in, in that network. <clears throat> and so that could be a, a, a um, you know, a signal of, of overvaluation. And there, there are all these, there are other, um, you know, approaches well, like um, equation of exchange, MV um, equals PY, to me, it's, it, that's, that's that's a tough nut to crack. I mean, if you look at that that equation, um, that's all denominated in a single currency. So if it's Bitcoin, everything denominated bitcoin. It's not like really clear how you sort of like translate that back into, into dollars because it's sort of like a closed system just in front of Bitcoin. So I think yeah. there's some technical limitations to that, and it's an accounting identity, it's not really a valuation model. So I think there's some interesting work going on there, but I think that might be somewhat intransigent. So I, I think right now there are a lot of different um, you know, tools and approaches. And I think there are some interesting trading um, uh, kind of technical type of um, you know, perspectives, which are, which are helpful. And I think you just have to sort of use a whole bunch of different measures to see kind of what makes sense. Um, so it's, it's definitely a kind of a growing area for sure. I and mean, a lot of smart minds being um, applied to do you know, research there.
0: Awesome, 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 man. Um, you know, before we end, end, you know, you see, you kind of have such a wide array of, of knowledge and exposure into this space. And look at it from so many different angles, um, from valuation, from education to policy. Um, what are some? Are there any like cool projects that you you kind of find yourself following um, as a late? Or um,
1: so right now, I'm I'm kind of uh, involved in this one project that I'm trying to get off the ground. It's it's basically Patreon. It's called Patreon. If you you know that what that is in terms of you can subscribe or, or support content sure. creators. Patreon is basically the same where we're not. Where the project is not trying to monetize off of uh, people's content or or you know or censor any of their of their stuff, um, and it's a, it's a tokenized version, decentralized version. So you know the idea is that you're trying to maxima- maximally um, you know support artistic integrity to the greatest possible. And and here this is a this, this is one of the reasons why you know, talked to Commissioner so this is a totally bootstrap kind of project, and we're airdropping a bunch of tokens, and we'll right. try to use inflation. As, as a way to reward people who provide good content. And our burn rate is, you know, I talked to the founder, he said, what's the burn rate? He said, it's like 20 bucks a month. So this is totally bootstrapped. We're getting some help from an incubator on the marketing side and, and legal. But this is sort of another example where if we—if this project can get off the ground, then um, it's kind of an interesting template where you can totally bootstrap something you don't need that much money and you know, you can build something. Um, and, and, the, and the SEC doesn't get in the way in terms of, you know, air dropping is fine, it's not security or it's decentralized. Centralize enough if you use inflation of reward tokens to sort of reward contributors, and you know if you can take away that friction from you know from the regulators, then basically anyone can do what we're doing. What we're doing here. Right, right. And, and this is almost like developing an app for the Apple App Store. So again, another way in which this could be an interesting model for you know, bootstrapping something very cheaply. land. Again, anyone can sort of do it and contribute to the ecosystem. So that doesn't quite answer your question, but it's been taking up a lot of mind space. No, 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 no. It doesn't answer my question. <laughs> we did the we did the air, we, we did the airdrop just a few days ago. So a little little
0: heavy right now. Awesome, awesome. Congratulations on that. And we'll check that out. Well, if we yeah. wanted to check that out as well as follow up with you, where should people go? So I guess give us a link to the, the website for that project as well as the places that people should follow you to find, oh, more, sure. find more.
1: So Patrios is patrios.com, P H R E
0: O S. So it's just a play on word. Okay. I'll uh I'll, I'll link that up on, on the show notes. Okay, yeah, because it's, it's hosted on the EOS blockchain.
1: Um, okay. And then for me, Michael Lowe 2014 uh, via Twitter, um, it's probably the easiest way to, to get
0: in touch with me. Awesome, well, Michael, uh, I know you're super busy, um, you know, between a lot of things that, all the cool things that you, you find yourself doing within this space. Um, thanks for uh, lending us some of your time, and uh, uh, we really appreciate it. And so we'll we'll share it out and have you have our listeners uh, reach out to you with anything that they want to follow up on. Okay, thanks for having me on the show. And it's a wrap for this episode of the Coin Gamma Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please share it out with members of your network, friends, family, associates. And most importantly, please leave a review on your podcast listening platform, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, you name it. That really helps the podcast out. It helps us get more exposure and share our content with more people. And don't forget, we're available to help you out with your blockchain related projects. Just reach out. CoinGamma.com. Until next time.